This is the Retro Rundown with Bart and Josh. Welcome to the Retro Rundown for the first week of March 2013. I'm one of your hosts, Josh. And I'm Bart. So, Bart, how have you been doing this week? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Actually, I just got in uh, Guild Wars 2 uh, with my tax refund. <laughs> so me and my wife have been playing a lot of Guild Wars 2. As for retro gaming, me and actually my little girl have been playing some old GameCube games. She just turned four. She's just starting to get to where she can kind of use a controller. So I figured I pulled out some of the old uh, kids games. Finding Nemo, if she loves, and uh, The Incredibles. Um, what else we got? We got uh, Happy Feet. To be honest, I've never played any of these games when they first came out. I was in my 20s whenever these games came out. She's definitely enjoying it. So you've been up to, man. Playing some of the new SimCity that came out. Pretty interesting. I haven't played anything since SimCity 2000. So I didn't play SimCity 4. And from what I've been understanding is that it, this one's a little less detailed than SimCity 4, but way more detailed than SimCity 2000. You have, like, regions, and you have multiple cities, and you have multiple players playing on it. The only real downside is having the whole EA, DRM, you know, first day release DLC. You know, just, just the general kind of stuff you have with, like, modern gaming that you see nowadays. EA gaming. I think... EA has pissed off a lot of people in the last few years, especially on on the PC side where, you know, we're used to games having where you can download it anytime you want, play it offline, mod it if you want. And uh, I, to be honest, I mean, look, I love SimCity. You're not going to find a more hardcore Sim, uh, just Maxis fan in general. I love anything Maxis made before, what, 2000. But what EA has done to the Maxis titles um, I, I'm not even going to get SimCity right now. I'm going to wait. Have you been able to get on and play whenever you want to? I've heard people have actually had trouble playing the game in single player. Well, it's not, there isn't really a single player. That's the thing, is that you always are playing on a server because the most you can do is play in a region, you can create your own region, and then you can make it private. And if you, so no matter what, you're online. You have to be online. But I personally haven't had any problems yet, but I could see it being a big problem later on. Yeah, yeah, that's, that doesn't sound good at all. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I, like I said, I'm going to give it time. I, I like buying games when – I mean, that's how I became a game collector. I like buying games when they're cheap anyway. So I'm, I'm going to wait till the game has a couple years on it probably before I pick it up. Bart, give us some news. Uh, why don't you give us the This Week in Gaming? Bastard, I was hoping you had <laughs> forgot. Did, did you find anything for us this week, Josh? Actually, I did. I was able to find something I had to dig a little bit. Everything was kind of recent for this week. I had a little thing about Square Enix, but it wasn't that big. The big thing that happened out in this week was in 2000, Bill Gates revealed the original Xbox at the Game Developers Conference. So this was the first time we got to see that big, bulky console with that big, huge controller they, they tried to release back then, bringing Microsoft into the pool and having them compete against uh, the PlayStation, which already had been out, and the GameCube, and the last little share of the Dreamcast at that time. Well, yeah, to be honest, man, I don't remember the initial announcement of the Xbox. At the time, I was a, I was definitely a Sony fanboy, and I, I don't remember the announcement of it, but it's hard to even imagine Bill Gates releasing a game console. I mean, even though he's definitely a nerd, he doesn't seem like the video game type. No, he doesn't. I mean, he was always a, a hardware guy starting way back when. I mean, he didn't even have visual displays when he started doing computers. 
Well, yeah, I think I say that didn't Bill did Bill Gates uh actually program some Atari games or was uh actually I'm man I'm getting Bill Gates confused with with uh with Steve Wozniak, ain't I? Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, the two yeah, Steves yeah, did I'm, work at Atari. I'm getting my tech icons confused. Yeah, yeah exactly. They worked <laughs> on a breakout. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, which again, that's hardware. It's not really gaming. It's more. Uh, back then, programming was hard coding. True. First announced, I mean, a lot of us just thought it was a joke. Because you're like, Microsoft, come on, man, you got a PC. Why the hell do I want to play? I could play your games on a computer, which is still my <laughs> argument today. But, but they still went with it and it became a very successful console because mainly they, allowed, they focused on the whole social aspect of it really improving their online experience yeah you know to be honest uh if, if i'm going to be completely non-biased when you when you look at xbox live versus the other systems definitely for a long time xbox live was seen as the gold standard to be honest to this day i don't own an xbox i don't own any <laughs> i mean i own a pc but i don't own any microsoft console at all I've never had an online console, so uh, you'd probably be able to speak to that better than I can. Yeah, they definitely were, got them their fan base. That and Halo and a couple of killer uh, killer games they were able to come out with and get exclusives for. Yeah, I, I, there was a few. I mean, Halo, Gears of War, and Fable probably pushed the system through its longevity. I mean, they've had a few other exclusives. That, they had a few first-time releases and stuff like that that were pretty good for it. Like when Fallout first came out for it, they had the DLC was available only for it first and stuff like that. So they did a real good job at, at nailing down some of those some of those details to help really smooth along their transition to be a real serious contender. But if you dump if you dump enough hundreds of millions of dollars into something, apparently you can make it a success, right? Apparently so. <laughs> Let's get into some news, Bart. Our first story uh, was a team released a video called. Uh, first-person Mario Endgame. Have you? I, I know you've seen this video, Josh. What you thought of it? I thought it was a pretty interesting take. When watching the video, it was, it was really cool to have the original stage in the background as well. So you had the actual, like, you see Mario jumping as if he was playing the, that stage. Oh, definitely, definitely. And, I mean, to be honest, I would have been confused at what I was seeing just because of all the jumping around. Until I real, in fact, was that the video from the record uh, run through? I have no idea. I haven't seen the record run through in a few years to tell you, if, you know, side by side comparison. But it was a pretty decent run of that. Well, let me give a rundown of the credits, just to give credit where credits due. Is man, I'm gonna get these names wrong. But it was created by Brandon Latch, Kevin Camerford, Alex Knoll, Kevin Sazaki, and Michael Wackoff. It looks like Wackoff to me. So. uh yeah, man, they, you just, um, our listeners, you just need to check out this video yourself. It's called Mario Endgame. It's a first-person view of Mario, of the end of Mario Brothers 3. And, I mean, the quality is superb. I've, to be honest, I mean, it looks like it's coming out of a team that is professional, right? It does. It really looks like a professional. It's a, definitely people who know what they're doing when it comes to computers and reworking that kind of stuff. To be honest, I think Nintendo should pick up these guys and have them make like, I mean, you seriously, if you think about it, you could make a really interesting either part of a game for like, let's say a, a Mario Galaxy 3 or something like that, where you would put in some of these, some of these old levels, but do them in first person. You could come up with some really interesting levels, I think. I think you could. I mean, you could probably do a 
Mario first person game, but use all these a lot of these old classic levels to do it with. Wait, exactly. I mean, they already have the first person uh, franchise. I mean, you just throw it in a Galaxy game. I mean, Galaxy has some crazy. Which you played Mario Galaxy, right? Yeah, but Galaxy's not first person. Okay, true that. I, I guess I'm thinking third person over the shoulder. I'll give you that. It's not first person. But it, no. I'm not sure if they'd be as good in first person. I mean, it looked real good, but to me, you could do this in third person as well. Third person over shoulder would be an interesting take for Mario. It really would. I mean, for, for those classic levels. Exactly, exactly. Well, hey, anybody who loves Mario and loves Mario Brothers 3, which is a great game in its own right, has to see this video, though. It's great. So it's first person Mario in game. So the next news item I got is ROM City Rampage. Josh, you ever heard of a Retro City Rampage? I sure did. I bought it for the PlayStation Network when it came out and played it a little bit. Kind of like a Grand Theft Auto with some uh, retro vibe to it. Cool. I mean, well, apparently the fellow who made it, Brian, man, these names, <laughs> Brian Proven, Provisino. Brian Provisino. That's his name. You can take it to the bank. He's from ben, Vancouver, British Columbia. Well, he created Retro City Rampage, the original. But when he created it, he was trying to make it into an 8-bit ROM. Well, as soon as, I'm not sure, I mean, anybody who remembers the old 8-bit games, he said that as soon as he got to the part where the uh, sprites started blanking on him and he couldn't render everything he wanted in the screen at once, he gave up on the idea and just created an awesome retro feel game. He decided after the release, uh, Retro City Rampage has been a huge success. I think it's on WiiWare, it's, it's on the PlayStation, it's on Steam, it's on Xbox, it's everywhere. Well, he decided to go back and create an 8-bit ROM out of the game and that's that's what he did and he actually posted a video if you go to retrocityrampage.com we'll also have a link to it at retrorundown.com our site he actually has a 12 minute video showing how he shrunk the game down to fit an uh, nes rom if you buy the game you can actually download the rom yourself and my hope is that they'll actually put this on a cart so what do you think about it I think it could be very interesting if he gets on a cart. They have a lot of these different games that they end up doing with different homebrews that end up being on carts at some point. Some that I would really like to see on carts. I know there's there's one or two that you want to see on a cart. And um, it just... I, I have a thing for homebrews. The whole idea of releasing a game 30 years after a console was released with a brand new game. I I don't know why, but I just think it's the coolest thing ever. So yeah, I'd, I'd like to see this uh, D-pad hero in a lot of games on cards. I'm sorry, I cut you off, John. Oh, <laughs> you didn't really cut me off. I was trying to throw it to you so you could talk about D-pad hero a little bit. Uh, I mean, one of the good examples of a game that started off on the PC as a, as a little uh, as a little challenge was a, a Battle Kid Fortress Apparel that went in and ended up being made into a actual card at one point that you can actually buy and own and it was uh published out and released by retro zone so is that still for sale uh i haven't been to the site a bit but a few months back when i went it, they were still selling it I, you know i need to just go bite the bullet and pick up some of those i mean not just nes I, there was a game a, a while back called skeletons plus that was an atari first person shooter which i i don't think it was a shooter it was a first person game and you can imagine, not exactly, it's Atari, for God's sakes. But just the idea of being able to make a first-person game in Atari blew my mind. And it was on sale for like 18 bucks, and I never picked it up. And now I'll be lucky if I can find it. So, yeah, I mean, that's I'm thinking about starting a good homebrew collection. Do you have any homebrews, Josh? I don't, and I really want one. I'll, every time I'm always like, I'm going to buy a homebrew, I'm going to buy a homebrew, I'm going to buy a homebrew. <laughs> 
And I never end up doing it. I'm always, I never bite, uh, like you, I need to just bite the bullet. Well, I, I know for me, the problem is I'm cheap. Uh, usually, even when I'm buying, when I'm buying for my collection, if it's north of $10, thinking about it. I mean, I got, pay more than $10 for a game, I can hear about it when I get home. So, <laughs> unless it's something me and my wife can both play, usually, um, I'm always worried about, you know, spending it on, and to be honest, that's what, I don't have the room for tons of games. I need to start buying me some quality games. You know what? Hey, Josh, on the, yep. on the show today, so I'll, eights of listeners can, can hear. <laughs> um, I challenge you to get you a homebrew. It, it's very easy for me to make ultimatums with your money, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> So uh, so anyway, that's that's the challenge though. I'm All here. right, you can challenge I, me something, but I'm challenging you. And I will think of one to throw back down on you. Okay, okay, uh, well, challenge made. <laughs> and challenge accepted. So <laughs> now, um, Bart, tell us what we got coming up in our our main segment for the day. We're gonna talk about some of the worst handheld systems ever released. Uh, this is the biggest flops. Uh, systems that had either had a lot of money, had a lot behind them, but just couldn't just couldn't sell a unit. Um, so uh, I, I think that's what we're going to talk about in the next segment. All right, can't wait to hear us bash some old handhelds that fail. It, it's always fun to talk about other people's failings, isn't it? <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, now we're uh, going to throw it over to Bart for a bit to introduce us into our debating topic for today. I don't know if it'll be that big of a debate. We're just discussing. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're talking about, I mean, look, there's been a lot of handhelds out there since uh, the birth of gaming. And we're talking about what was just the worst one. Just because there's, there's a lot of systems that came out and just had tons of money behind it. Man, great hardware. Everything seemed in place. And no one bought them. To get this started, I, I guess we'll, we'll start. What was, Josh, do you think was the worst system 
quality of the games. For oh, the worst quality for the games for its time. Yeah. Oh, man, that's... Because all your major systems ran the gauntlet. I mean, there was bad Game Boy games. There was bad Game Gear games. But in general, if it was a main console, there was also good games. I was going to have to go with the, the GameCom. You got to go with the GameCom. I'm with you there. I mean, the game's unplayable, right? It's the worst monochrome kind of thing you got going on. It's It came out after the Game Boy, but somehow it was less... It, to be to, the sad thing is to 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 this date I think it's the the best looking games that Tiger has ever made. <laughs> Probably, but that's not much to say. <laughs> Tiger has made some ugly games, but yeah, not including the Tiger handhelds on their own. Yeah, just for anybody who doesn't know, the Gamecom. The Gamecom was released by Tiger, the company that used to release these handheld games that all they were good for was to be thrown against a wall out of frustration, right? Right. It seems like you always got one for Christmas, right? There was always some aunt that was like, oh, I'm going to buy him a video game and get you this tiger. And you're like, thanks, aunt. I'm going to find something to do for five minutes and kick this thing across the yard. That might have been uh, your family, but not mine. I ended up with like four of these things, right? And, and I mean, this this is this was my Game Boy. Was freaking, I had a Mega Man on one of these, right? You would think Mega Man. It, has, it was hard like Mega Man. It just <laughs> wasn't good like Mega Man. Uh, it was terrible. But no, the, the GameCom. The GameCom was released, like you said, after Game Boy. Um, I actually had one. I, I sold it recently. There was like six games that came out with its release, and all of them not great. It had, like you said, a monochromatic screen. Um, I, it was also it had some apps built into it, like a calculator and things like that. And it just wasn't any fun. There was nothing fun about it. I tried playing. I had quite a number of games for it. It the the it seemed like the more advanced the game was like I mean there was Duke Nukem, Mortal Kombat, and it was just the worst versions of those games you've ever seen. Yeah, I mean that's what the impressions I got. I mean from my understanding, it actually had a stylus at one point. It was supposed to be kind of like a, a you know a, a PDA kind of hybrid. Well, exactly, it had actually a stylus that came with it. Yeah, and it didn't work very well. You had to basically push it through the screen to make it work. Yeah, so I mean, when it when it comes to games on a portable console, the biggest failure had had to be GameCom. The one revolution that they had that I've never seen in any other system. It was the only system you could put two games in at the same time, and I'm sure that was purely because they it was so big and bulky they just wanted to fill up some of the giant plastic space they had. It's not the only system they ever do it. Um, the Nintendo uh 3D uh not the not the 3DS. The Nintendo DS during the first run had it where you could put Game Boy Advance games in and Game Boy DS games in. That's true. And it actually asked you which one you wanted to play when you loaded up the game. The system. Okay, okay. Techni- you're technically correct. The best kind of correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, all right, all right. So our, our next topic. What was, to you, do you believe, is the commercially worst portable system that ever came out? The biggest commercial flop for just the commercial, I'm going to say the PSP Go. It really did not hit a lot of the markers it should have. Trying to go aim for this digital market and, and go pure digital. This is what we want. If you ask me, I, th- I think the design was nice. It looked real smooth. But it really upset a lot of the hardcore uh, PSP users at that time who had already invested in the UMDs. They really liked them. The games were fine. I don't think UMD movies were exactly flying off the shelf. No, no, no. And I was saying, like, not not the movies. 
the the games. They were upset that because they because then they couldn't get any way to put the games they already owned onto this new system. Yeah, yeah, and, and which backwards compatibility you, compatibility you wouldn't think would be that big of a deal, except for you're releasing a system with basically the same power and same processing as the original system. It wasn't PSP Go wasn't exactly a step up from a PSP, right? No, it was it was a it was a actually a thinner model. It was supposed to be a little bit more compact, easier to carry around. I kind of like that idea. Didn't implement it right. When you got rid of media you were using, before, it just turned off a lot of the audience. Now, now you see, I, I would argue though that maybe the PSP, the PSP Go was a was a poor version of a PSP. But I mean, I would argue that it was. I mean, yes, you couldn't play the same media, but it was basically a PSP, right? Yeah, basically it was a PSP. But but once again. I mean, from a commercial standpoint, it didn't sell. It didn't go anywhere. Not a lot of people were interested in it because the main people who are already interested in having a PlayStation portable system already own a PlayStation portable system, and they were waiting for that something new. Yeah. What do you think that Sony really put the marketing and money behind the go though, or did you? I think Sony already knew the the Vita was on the way. Uh, it was a stop stopgap, probably. Well, then the go came out a good. Two years before even announcing Vita, the, the Go's been out that long. The Go's been out, yeah, it's been out for quite some time. Okay, I thought it came out like 2010. That's still about, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I get my years mixed up. I mean, it's 13, so. It's... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, there, there's a couple I can hit. Um, purely financial losses for our company. Probably the uh, the the Virtual Boy. It's not a it's not a handheld in the traditional sense, but uh, it is kind of a built-in all-in-one system. And uh, I think Nintendo. I mean, it was it was it's the only system surely to give you a giant headache that that ever came out, and that's something, right? That is, and, and like uh, that's what I was going to hit on later for like an an overall. It wasn't just a commercial failure for me. It was just a it was a total it was a total misstep for Nintendo as a whole that uh. I think I think it was bold though. I mean, it, it was a bold decision. It wasn't a good decision. It, it, they were ahead of their time. I mean, right now, I, I think you may disagree with me because I don't think you're not a fan of uh, of uh, the idea of virtual reality, right? I think we've talked about this before. Uh, the way the way virtual virtual reality has always been presented to me has not been appealing. Well. It, it, I definitely, I mean, it wasn't appealing in the Virtual Boy, but I mean, I've sat with my Virtual Boy and played some games. It was interesting. The hundreds of dollars of interesting it had to be to be for the mo- most consumers. No, it definitely is an oddity. And but financially, it it was to me the the worst, the worst. I mean, close tie with maybe the Engage. Um, but yeah, okay. Now we'll go into overall. Uh, the number one worst for me is going to be a Virtual Boy. The guy who was designing it didn't think it was ready for market, and Nintendo pushed him. It led to him leaving the company before he. I mean, he had he already said he was going to retire, but it, it led him to leaving the. It like he left the company because of this release and how he felt about it. Now, uh, that was that was uh that was what what was his name? Uh, Gunpei or something like that. I, yeah, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I don't want to uh dishonor him by by <laughs> saying it wrong. Well, I mean, well, he already dishonored himself from what you're saying. Well, I mean, I, I mean the, the guy did the Game & Watch, Game Boy. He was responsible for Metro, like uh, the production team behind Metroid and Kid Icarus. I mean, up until this point, he was... He was gold, huh? Yeah, that's right. He was sending stuff out the park. So there was a lot of hype behind this. 
And when you come without with this, they're marketing like this is the next big thing. They're really pushing the virtuality thing in the time of Lawnmower Man and all these other big VR things we have in the in the zeitgeist of that time. For all of y'all younger crowd out there, the early 90s was a weird, weird time. It was. <laughs> and and so it, it was really pushing at that market where like this hype was behind it. This person was behind it. Nintendo had a lot of faith in them, so they were marketing it that way and – and for me, that's what the biggest failure comes in is that you're expecting so much. This is Nintendo. They've to, they've done so much right. Now, granted, we might have been able to see something wrong seeing that this guy also did rob the robot. Well, and I think if you look at Nintendo, they have a history of successful systems, successful games. But if you look at peripherals, they didn't ship with the system, uh, which uh, I know Rob did ship with some system. <laughs> yeah, I did. But uh, – but I mean, if you look at the power pad, the, the power glove, the uh, the the uh, Super Six on 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 Super Nintendo, yeah, none of these were exactly out of the park success. I mean, which I know this was an accessory; it was supposed to be a system on its own. But whenever they they went outside the box, normally they didn't do as well. It it wasn't their first flop, but it, it was probably their most expensive. Yes. Well, all right. When, when it comes to me. Just re I've never even actually seen one of these systems in public. They're pretty rare. It's it's the only system to actually get people put in jail. The Gizmondo. It was a handheld system that was released in two thousand and five by a company called Tiger I think it was Tiger Electronics, but it's not the same Tiger as the uh as the one that released the uh, GameCom, a different Tiger. It's a Tiger Telematics. That's so it's not it, Tiger Electronics. You're right, you're right. Tiger Telematics. Right. It's like, hey, I got an idea. Let's steal a company's name. What's the worst company out there? Let's steal their name. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Tiger Telematics. Basically, what happened was this con artist was able to find all these investors to invest. He was going to build the best portable system that ever was released. It was going to not only was going to be a portable system, but it was going to have, you know, it was going to be a PDA. It has different apps in the system. It was going to be uh, – this was this was 2005. This is whenever uh, PDAs were big. It was before the iPhone, a smartphone game system. I mean this is the same time as Engage kind of, but it was this was going to be stronger. To be He never – I don't think the system was ever really intended to be good. I think there were certain people at the company who really had a vision for it, but I think that the actual founders of the company just wanted the money because this, the system itself, from what I understand – is actually pretty good. It's it's very powerful, but the games on it are almost non-existent and terrible. I mean, you want to hear these winners of games, right? There's a game on one of the releasing uh, games was a game called Sticky Balls. That was the name of the game, Sticky Balls. Well, and a lot of the games, from what I understand, were simple. They just took. Remember the old cell phone games that were terrible? I'm not sure if you ever seen those, Josh. From the old Nokia's, yes, like they had like like little uh, Madden football games for your cell phone. Yeah, I've seen some. They, of them. they just released these as full games on the console, or on yeah. the handheld, and that was their games. It was just cell phone games, but the console cost four hundred dollars. Well, it had a built-in GPS and a built-in digital camera. Come on, it was your iPhone before your iPhone. And and that's like I said, I think the people who actually engineered it. If you look at this, the design of this system, it's beautiful. It looks good. It works well from what I understand. Not the best battery life, but what does, right? Exactly. But the amount of money, I mean, before the system came out, the, uh, one of the founders did the tw- got as a promotional stunt, got uh, ran the 24 hours of Le Mans 
with Gizmondo on the side of the car. They had parties where they invited hundreds of people and spent literally a million dollars on a party. And I think in the first month, they sold 12,000 units, the entire first month. And I think in total, they only sold, I, I think the number, the production numbers are south of 100,000. Needless to say, they completely went bankrupt. And the founder apparently bought some like 200,000, a $1 million car, something like that, and wrecked it in Italy and without insurance, without paying for the car or something, and ended up in prison for two years. Uh, so I think when it comes to financial failures, when you end up in jail, just your company went bad. <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, and I mean, there's other flops. Uh, I, I kind of touched on the engage, the engage, a lot of marketing behind it. I don't know. Have you ever seen engage in person? No, I haven't. Me neither. Now, if you wanted to collect these systems, I mean, we're collecting podcasts. I mean, I know uh, I looked at the prices for the Gizmondo. You're going to pay probably almost $200 for one. I think purely because they're so rare, people, it's just, it's, it's something that, you know, people really want for a collector. Do you know any of the prices on any of these systems? I know a virtual boy uh, in, in good shape. How much are you going to pay for that, do you think? Uh, I have no idea, to be honest. Uh, do you have one? I do not. You don't have a virtual boy, really? No, I, you know me, I kind of stay, I, I'm not really the handheld collecting kind of guy, so it's one of those systems I kind of straight away from. Well, I know my, my virtual boy now, my virtual boy is missing the stand and just about everything. It's basically just the unit and, and the controller with a couple games. I, I got it for a reasonable. Now, this was going eight, nine years ago. I think I paid 30 or 40 bucks for it. And I think if you have one in good shape, probably going to pay 60 or 70 bucks for it. But to me, the virtual boy is a great investment because it's it's a system that's completely different than anything else you're going to get. The engage, I have no idea. I don't even know if you can use the damn thing because there's no... <laughs> You're not. I don't know if you could use it on the on the modern phone lines. Yeah, I have no idea myself. And uh, what other systems we talked about? Oh well, we we briefed up on the Gamecom and yeah, the Gamecom, the Gamecom. Look, if anybody out there wants to collect a full system, the Gamecom is the one you go for. I actually, that's what got me to collect the Gamecom. I was able. You able? You can pick up a Gamecom, not in the box, for less than twenty dollars sometimes, and a, a complete set probably wouldn't cost you much much more than that. And the games, you can pick up every game for the entire system, every single one, for probably around $120. Uh, the most expensive games run something like $10, $15 each. Uh, I know I, I have seen the prices go up lately, especially, uh, in fact, I ended up selling, I had a Duke Nukem for the system. And I ended up selling, getting almost 30 bucks for it because it was right around when Duke Nukem Forever came out. So I guess there was a, there was a big... Uh, Rush for Duke Nukem. I mean, maybe it's a little rarer than it was, but still, the system is the perfect system to get a complete. It's it's an interesting collector's item, I think. I would say so. Um, not anything really off the top of my head. Well, I mean, uh, there's always you can kind of say the Nomad because uh, I, well, I never had a Nomad. I, I always wanted one, but I think that from what I understand, the reason the Nomad did so poorly is that it ate batteries worse than the Game Gear. And anybody who knows who ever owned a Game Gear knows how many batteries you go through. I mean, you if you got a Game Gear and you got a 12-hour trip, you got to bring 30 batteries. I mean, <laughs> if you're playing a high-end game on the Game Gear, you're not going to get four hours out of it. And uh, I heard the Nomad was worse than that. So I think that's what really hampered the system. I mean, to be honest, I don't think they ever really, at least I don't recall heavy marketing for the Nomad. Do you? I didn't hear about it for years 
until years after. Literally, I, I only heard about the Nomad as a collecting system. That's When I started collecting, that's when I heard about the Nomad. Well, it's the same thing like with the Lynx. I didn't really hear about Atari Lynx until around that time. You're right. I mean, I kind of remember, in fact, until I did research to talk for this for this segment, I thought the Lynx was a flop system. But uh, apparently in, in Europe it sold pretty well. And, uh, I mean, you're not talking about millions of units, but you're talking about hundreds of thousands of units. And uh, it wasn't a huge loser for uh, for Ataris. Apparently, the Lynx, uh, even though I've never had the opportunity to play it, was a moderately success. I mean, you wouldn't say successful, but you wouldn't put it put it with the rest of these uh, these stinkers that we're talking about today. Exactly. Uh, but but of course, the great thing about a bad system, it makes for a great talking piece, right? And as a collector, these are the fun stories, right? I mean, everybody's gonna have a Game Boy. Everybody's gonna have a a, a Game Gear, a, a, a DS. When you, when you show up and, and you got an Atari Lynx or a GameCom, everybody's, what the heck is that? Exactly. Not not too many people are going to pop out and say that. Hell, you can even pop out with a, a Game Boy Advance Micro, a uh, Game Boy Advanced Micro, and a lot of people wouldn't know what that was. I'm trying to remember the Game was. Boy Advance Micro. It was a, it was a flip-up like the DS, right? Oh, no, no, no. The Everyone knows the Game Boy Advance, you know, like the purple-looking one, and then they had the, uh, the Game Boy Advance SP, which was oh, okay. the flip-up one you're thinking of. The mi- the micro, on the other hand, was an even smaller version that almost looked like a a great uh, like a metallic dog bone. A almost. Metallic dog bone. Almost. Well, uh, actually, more like a metallic I, tie. I'm, uh, man, I'm not by a computer right now, and uh, I don't think I've ever seen that one. The advance, right? It was one of the last ones, or was it before the uh, the flip-up? Well, actually, let me get the exact information preceded by, succeeded by. It was the last thing. It was late in life because it was right before the DS. It was a small gray, let's see, weight was 2.8 ounces. It was 2 by 4 by 0.7 inches. So it was real small, 2-inch screen, you know, micro. (laughs) Man, yeah, I, I never heard of that one. Now it's and you know it's always systems like that that end up being the big collector's items. So that, and see that's what I'm saying, like something like that, you bring that out, you know, it's a name brand thing, plays all your Game Boy Advance games, and how many people heard of it? Yeah, true that. Well, see you after a short break. This song is called "I Am Sad," so very, very sad. Thank you. This next one's called We Hate You, Please Die. try something a little different than we did on our first episode and we're going to throw in some 30 second reviews 
We're each going to take a little bit and review one game across all the spectrum of gaming, and we're going to review it for 30 seconds. I'm going to let Bart go first. Oh, I go first, sure. Hey, I I have this idea for this crazy segment, Um, and I don't know if it's going to work right. Let Bart do it first. Of course I have to let Bart do it first. (laughs) So what I'm going to do is that Bart's going to pick his game. I'm going to time him for 30 seconds. He has to talk about the game for 30 seconds, even if he doesn't have 30 seconds worth of stuff to say. Then I'm going to tell him to stop no matter what part he's on, and he has to tell me if he's going to continue playing it or he would pass on it as a recommendation. All right? So, Bart, are you ready? Uh, Sure, yep. All right, tell us the, tell us the name of the game you're going to be reviewing. Um, I think because it's one of the only games I've been playing, I'm going to play, uh, my, my little girl loves it. Uh, I'm going to be reviewing Finding Nemo for the GameCube. All right. Your, your seconds are going to start in three, two. One. All right, Finding Nemo for the GameCube. Um, it's uh, it's basically the straight storyline from the movie Finding Nemo. You go from from where you wake up uh, with with your son, um, and you're actually playing as Nemo at the beginning. Go to school, and then you know the the boat comes and takes the kid away. Um, but to be to be honest, all it comes down to is a, a glorified ring game. You remember us. Uh, Superman 64, that's basically what you're doing. You're just swimming around, going through rings. Stop. Really? Yeah, really. That's it. 30 seconds is short. It is. But, dude, you Jesus Christ, I didn't get through anything. I got got Superman 64. That sounds like a pass. (laughs) Um, yes, I'm going to have to say pass on this one. All right. You know, let me give you the the two-second review. Superman 64, pass. There you go. (laughs) That sounds good to me. Um, okay, so I guess it's man. So I'll know for next week to get to the point much faster. <laughs> yes. Okay, so um, all right, Josh, ready? Oh, what, what game are you doing? I'm going to do Bomberman on the NES. Bomberman on the NES. Um, all right, ready, set, go. So I'm doing Bomberman by Hudson Soft. Hudson Soft does all these great games way back in the day. So Bomberman, you play this little guy. You set bombs out. You have to kill all these creatures. You kill all the creatures. Uh, and then you have to find the door. Once you kill all the creatures, you find this door. You blow up the, the brick, open the door. You go through it. You go through all these different stages. Pretty good game. Simple mechanic. Uh, not too hard, but the bad thing is sometimes you get trapped in between a, a, a bomb and a hard place. I guess that's the best way to say it. Regardless, I, I think this is, is one of the most classic games and they screwed up the franchise uh-huh. later on. Play. You play the, you play Bomberman. You, damn it, you play it. I don't care how. You just do it. I, I, I agree. Alright, man. So I, 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 I'm, <laughs> to be honest, I love that segment. I think we're gonna have to do that every week now. I, I, I agree. That, that was a little bit more, um, without a fraction, it was like, alright, let's go! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> well, um. <laughs> To be honest, I mean, I think the reason we came up with the segment is because we don't want it to be a review show. I mean, this is a show about collecting, right? It's about hardware. It's about the. It's not only about the games. It is definitely about the games, but it's how things look on the shelf. But we didn't want it to make, you know, make it just about uh about reviews. So I figured we throw in a little bit of reviews at the end, and uh, I think it's going to work out well. So I, I think that's it for our second episode, Josh. I, I'd say it is. I mean, that's pretty much closing up shop. After something like that, adds a little comedy to the end, you can't really say no. Well, all right. Well, um, you can find me at RetroRundown.com. You can email me at uh, Bart at RetroRundown.com. I'm going to read everything you send. 
Josh, where, do, where can they get in touch with you at? Uh, besides Retro Rundown, they can mylifeingaming.com. Mylifeingaming.com. All right. We're looking for a home. We're looking what, what it is. We have a website. We, ha- we have a page and everything. We're, we're going to be on iTunes real soon. Um, in fact, you might actually get this episode on iTunes. But we don't have a forum at our website because it, we figure there's too many great video game communities already out there. I'm not even going to try to list them all. I mean, there's tons. We're, we're all part of some of these. But we, we're looking for a community that's willing to take us in and give us a sub forum where we could post questions to the community and y'all could y'all can give us feedback, tell us how terrible our voices are and how you hate our accents and how our reviews don't make any sense and how we messed up talking about Retro City Rundown. Retro City Rampage, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Um, so if you could email us at bart at retrorundown.com or josh at retrorundown.com um, and just let us know of a good community that you think would be accepting of us so <clears throat> we can get feedback from y'all and ask y'all questions and you can tell us about all the mistakes we're making. Well, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us at uh, retrorundown.com. You can find us at uh, Retro Rundown on Facebook. We're, we're, uh, anything you post, we'll, we'll answer. So uh, until next week, uh, Josh, you got anything else? No, I don't have anything else until next week. Well, all right. Uh, man, we need, Josh, we got a problem. We still never – how did I end it last time, man? The way we ended it last time is that we tried to end it by having me come up with a phrase, and then that did not work. Came up with a good ending yet? Man, you know what? Completely forgot to think about a good ending. Uh, well, we got to come up with something. Whippity wham wham wazzle. Does that work? I I, I – <laughs> Whippity wham wham wazzle to you, Josh. <laughs> Whippity wham wham wazzle to you, Mark. <laughs>